so many things going on in the world, and as prophesied, as prophesied, we do see that, that uh, Christianity is indeed under attack. There are indeed persecutions going on in the church. Um, some may say that it's subtle, but those of us who have Holy Spirit, you know, gotten knowledge and revelation, you can clearly see what's going on. You know, those things that were once deemed to be right are now considered wrong, and those things that were wrong are now considered to be so right and so acceptable. So as children of God, we need to prepare ourselves and make sure we don't forget some of the basic things that the Word of God teaches us. And we're going to talk a little bit about prayer. And, and one thing that is even more, I won't say more immediate than prayer, but many times in our lives during the course of a day, when troubles and challenges of this world, because Jesus said that we will have tribulations in this world, but he is greater because he over, he's come to overcome the world. Amen. But we have things that come into our lives. And the first thing that we have to do is learn how to, when it hits us up here, you know, and that thing coming into your life, you heard, you heard me say it many times, could be via a phone call, could be via a letter you get in the mail, it could be you running into someone that you know and them just saying something that just kind of shakes your world. It could be from a family member, it could be from someone who really is trying to help you, you know, and they wind up saying things that just kind of shake your world. And it all starts up here in our minds, you know, and the Word of God talks about renewing your mind. But what we need to do, though, is to learn to to, to Cast down those imaginations, okay? Because let's face it, you know, when that thought comes into your mind, what it does is it starts as an imagination. It starts as a thought. And then you start dwelling on that thought. And the longer you, 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 you dwell on that thought, you know, if it be of something of a sinful nature, then you go and you, com- you commit that sin. If it is something of a worrisome nature, then you open the door to that spirit of fear. And then that spirit of fear takes over. And then a whole lot of other things start, take, start taking place internally adrenaline and heart palpitations and the whole, whole bit. So we need to do what the Word of God says, and that is to arrest those thoughts and to, to pull down those evil imaginations. But then again, not according to my Word, but according to the Word of God. So let's go to the second chapter of Corinthians, second book of Corinthians. Okay, the second book of Corinthians, and we want to go to chapter 10. Okay, Corinthians 10. Okay. You know, and we need to learn how after we've taken those thoughts and pulled them down, then we need to go into prayer. And we need to think about how it is that we pray. You know, one of the things that we oftentimes forget is that, you know, they always talk about the missing link. They talk about the missing link and how, you know, man came from the apes and all that sort of thing and and how man is in the animal kingdom. Well, the greatest thing that separates us from, from animals is the fact that an animal does not have a spirit. Okay, an animal does not have a spirit. An animal has a soul. Being that animals have emotions, all right? That's where the, the soul is the seat of our emotions, our personalities and things, but it is not the same as our spirit. We are the only beings that God created, um, human beings that, that have a, a spirit. And as such, God gifted us with the privilege of being able to pray to him. Animals have no concept of God, they have no concept of prayer. So prayer is something that is a gift from us, it is a two-way communication. But before we can even get to having conscious prayer with God, we have to learn how to take that thought that is coming at us and how to pull it down. So looking at chapter, uh, chapter number 10, starting with verse number 1, 
Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ to in presence and base among you, but being absent am I am bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence with which I think to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war after the flesh. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Please in the line. Mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Please underline, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to, be, to the obedience of Christ. Okay? To the obedience of Christ. And having in readiness to punish all disobedience that your obedience is fulfilled. So the operative words here for today's message, though, is verses 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, Ephesians chapter 6 talks about strongholds. We wrestle not against flesh, flesh and blood, but against principalities and high places and so on. It's talking about the evil. So the weapons in, in our world are not fleshly, they're not carnal weapons. The the, 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 the enemy that we have coming against us you know guns the second amendment doesn't help us all right you know arrows bows it does not help does not help us because the warfare that we in that we are in is a spiritual warfare make no mistake about it so when you have these thoughts that hit you and inundate you from which seems to be out of no place it's not coming from no place at all that is indeed coming from one source and that's the devil himself or since the devil cannot be in more place than one Okay, he's not, he's not omnipresent like God, but he does have his minions, those demonic entities around him that do indeed influence or try to influence us. So when those thoughts hit us, we have to know, first of all, before we even get to the prayer, how do we pull it down? And so it says there, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, what is a stronghold? A stronghold is that place in your life where the enemy has gotten a foothold. Now, I'm not saying here a Christian, understand clearly. A Christian cannot be fully possessed. All right? The Word of God says that when we come to Jesus, we are sealed by Holy Spirit. When Holy Spirit seals us, that means our spirit is sealed. All right? Now, we can be oppressed. We can be demonized in the fact that this little imp is constantly whispering in your ear, constantly planting thoughts in your head, constantly putting these little troublesome things that's that's in your head. So a stronghold is a place in your life where the enemy has gotten a foothold, and that is the one place they repeatedly come back to harass you. Okay? We all have hot buttons. We all, we all have hot buttons. All right? There's a couple of folks that I see on the daily news that when I see them, I almost have to go into prayer. <laughs> okay? Because, oh boy, here they go again. You know? You know, so if I'm not careful, that could become a stronghold. And the devil knows that that's one of the hot buttons for me. So the devil brings that little hot button. He pushes that hot button in your life because he knows that that is one thing to get you off, to get you angry, to get you worried, to get get you fearful, all right? So, and those things can be a recurring thing in your life. If there is something in your life that is particularly troublesome and brings upon you fear or anxiety or worry and you're constantly getting upset when that particular thing rises up, that could be a stronghold that's set in place in your, in your life, all right? So you, you need to know then how to pull down that stronghold, how to tear it down, okay? And so it says you now, it says again, 
And it says that uh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, let's put a bookmark here for a minute. And Lester, I wasn't going to go there, but let's go to Ephesians 6. Put a bookmark in uh, Corinthians 10. And let's go to Ephesians 6 for a second. And I just want you to see how the scriptures all hang together here. Pulling down a strong... Okay, Ephesians 6, um, verse 11... I'm not going to read the whole thing, but 11 and 12. Ephesians 6, verse 11. It's talking about the armor of God, and I'm sure these descriptions are very familiar to all of you here. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Okay? Now, where it says stand, that means to stand firmly. It, does, it means not to wimp out, not to get fearful and become a scaredy cat, but to stand. And it says then against the wiles of the devil. Okay? A wile, it, it's a strategy. Because the devil is devious. The devil very rarely comes on to you face on. The devil rarely shows up in your life as being a challenging spirit that's going to give you a hard time. Because he knows that you as a Christian, if he did that, that right away you'd go into your spiritual warfare and you'd rebuke him and bind him up and cast him out. So what he does is he uses other wiles. He uses other tricks and strategies to get to you. So it says, the pull the whole arm of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the, of the devil. For we wrestle not... We wrestle not, wrestle, wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Okay? Pulling down the strongholds, pulling down those high thoughts that would exalt itself against God. We're going to go back to Corinthians in a minute. But where it says in verse number 12, for we wrestle, underline the word wrestle, because what does wrestle indicate? Okay? Wrestle indicates close hand-to-hand combat. It does not mean something that's done from afar. Okay, you ever see anyone wrestle with somebody 20 paces away from them? Kind of hard to do. Amen. Amen. Wrestling is when you're with someone and you're really dealing with it's close to close. Because when the devil comes at you, it's a personal thing. It's a personal thing. I mean, he's, he's out to get you. He's out to kill you in his ultimate game. Okay, at best, he wants to separate you from the word of God. At best, he wants you to feel alienated from God. At best, he wants you to feel that God has deserted you. Amen? Amen? That God has forsaken you. All right? Okay, so it says there to... to and then he goes on to say, For we wrestle against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Okay? So this is what our true enemy is. All right? It is not. It is not anything. She's running away from home. It is not anything. It, it, it is not. Praise God. <laughs> praise God. It, it is not something. It is not something that we are wrestling with in terms of flesh and blood. You know. And in a way, it would be so much easier if we could readily identify this enemy. You know. But what happens is that we, as Christians, though, you know, be it our boss, be it our neighbor, be it someone else on the street, be it a family member that you're at odds with, we think that that person is the source of our problem, okay? But it's not that person. It's not that flesh and blood human being that is the source of your problem, all right? That person is indeed being guided, is being pushed by demonic forces, by principalities of darkness in high places, amen? Okay, so this, so go back to um, Corinthians 10, 2 Corinthians 10, okay? And looking at verse 4 again, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, not fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of the strongholds, casting down imaginations and everything, now underline everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Okay, so what that imagination does, so how does that work? So it sounds nice to read that, pull it down and so forth. So how does that work? 
here you're doing something around the house or you're at work or whatever it may be then all of a sudden this thought hits you bang all of a sudden maybe it's a phone call you know maybe it's Aunt Tilly you know my famous Aunt Tilly I'm always talking about that's giving you that phone call you know and whatever this message is this news is it's, it's extremely unsettling to you alright many of the things that wind up upsetting us in our lives are very rarely things that we have planned we can plan for or that we know are going to happen the things that hit us unexpectedly are the things that that really really upset us and tear us apart the most so right away now so this thing comes into mind and you're thinking about it you're thinking oh gee you're thinking about the words that you heard you're thinking about the words that you just read that's an imagination because your mind is now dwelling on it okay and we as human beings if we dwell on something long absent God without God if you dwell on something long enough all of a sudden you'll come up with a solution okay you and your brain will come up with a solution is that solution the best thing for you 90% of the time it is not if you thought about this thing all by yourself without God's interest put. So this imagination is running through our heads. So the first thing you've got to do is like, you know, the thing that you read or the thing that you heard or someone said to you, it instills this fear. So that is something that is coming against the word of God. Okay? What does it say there? Okay, what does it say there? It says, casting down imagination, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So that imagination now that is going through your mind is instilling fear. You start feeling it in your chest. You feel the weight on your back there. You start imagining now the gee whiz, the person that they talked about are not going to be able to make the payment or this or that are not going to be able to do that. And so you're imagining, you're imagining, you're imagining. So that is a Against the word of God. Because what does the word of God say about you as a child of God? So first of all, I have not given you a spirit of fear, again, to bond a bondage to fear. Amen. Amen. But of power, love, and a sound mind. Okay? I can do all things through Christ Jesus. Amen. But what you're hearing is against that. It's counter to the word of God. So the way you pull it down is that you counter that by using the word of God. Say, I will not accept that. I will not accept that. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. God owns the cattle of a thousand hills. I am a child of God. I am his heir. That means that this bill that I have to pay shall be paid. This thing that is coming against me, I shall overcome it. I shall, I shall, I shall. And you quote every single bit of scripture that is in line with God's word. Because that imagination that is coming at you is to do nothing but to make you upset, to make you ill, to get you doubting that God is there because it's against the word of God. Amen? Amen? So you need to cast it down and pull it down. Alright? So now, once you've gotten that under control, and you, you've learned how to cast it down, now, and, and you, you've gotten past the moment, that fear has been arrested, you've bound it up and you've cast it out, okay? Now perhaps it's the stronghold, it's whatever it is that might be the source of that thing. You want to get rid of that and now it's time for you to go to prayer, okay? Casting down the imagination, pulling down the strongholds is something to get you through the immediate thing that hits you. Because right away, the problem is we cannot dwell on our imaginations. I can't overemphasize that. You can't dwell on it, amen? And this also goes as far as sinful acts are concerned. You think about the sinful act long enough you start you know we, we human beings are excellent at rationalizing you know you know you, you can sit here and, and tell somebody the sky is green you know if you can rationalize and think of the right words you'll begin them to, to convince them of that and that's how those cult works they, they, they get to your reason so you rationalize so we're good at making up things and finding solutions for ourselves but you can't do that amen you need to get God going into this process alright so once you've pulled it down now you want to go to the longer term thing and you want to 
look at how do I remove it, and that is done through prayer. Okay? Okay, we, now we go to prayer. There's several things that we need to know. Like I said before, it is a privilege that God has given us. Animals cannot pray. Um, prayer, by the way, it's a two-way communication. It does not mean that on your way to work and while you're brushing your teeth, you're saying, there's nothing wrong with praying while you're brushing your teeth. That's fine. Okay, all right, pray. You know, I, I pray when I'm showering, all right? But, but I'm telling you. If you think that your prayer consists of just you spending 20 minutes, a half an hour, an hour even, you know. Well, I prayed to God for, oh, how long did you pray? One whole hour, okay? But did you listen? But did you listen? Amen? Prayer is a two-way communication. After you've spoken to God, then you, you wait. You, you be still. You be still and know that I am God. You be silent for a second, and you listen, and God will, will, will talk back to you. God will give you the solutions. God will tell you what needs to be done. God will tell you how you need to think. God will remind you, you know, oh, my son, oh, my daughter, why are you so worried? Do not you remember, you know, six months ago, a year ago, five years ago, there was a similar situation. Didn't I bring you through that? You know, you know, you know. What did David say when he was going out there to, uh, to fight, to battle with Goliath, you know, and his brothers and Saul and everybody said, oh, but you're but a youth and so on. What did David say? Ah, remember. Remember the lion that God rescued me from. Remember the bear. Okay, so David remembered how God had saw him through issues before. We need to do the same. And God will remind you. But we've got to get to the point that when we are praying to God, it is not just a one-way communication. Prayer is indeed, it's a, it's a conversation with God. Again, it's a privilege. There's no animal that has the ability to do that. None whatsoever, you know. And sometimes, you know, when I stop and think about it, my heart goes out to the non-believer or the unbeliever and the atheist, you know. Because while they think that they're here on this planet by themselves and that God is not their God, well, guess what? God is their God, too, whether they want to realize it or not. They may not acknowledge them, him, but God created them also, you know. So, I mean, I, I feel for them because they have no courses. They have no recourse. When things in their lives go terribly wrong, there's no place for them to run. You, you know, they get attacked by circumstances the same way that we do. The difference between them and us is that we have a God that we know loves us, that we know is ready to hear from us. And all we have to simply do is to bring the issue to him. Okay? So you've got past the immediate thing, and now you want to get into dealing with this thing on more of a long-term basis. Let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6 Again Okay, Ephesians chapter 6 Okay, because prayer again is a part of our armor Back to the armor of God Ephesians 6 Um Okay, uh, let's just I'm not going to read all of the armor Let's start at verse number 17 Okay, the rest of the armor goes through the the breastplate and the shield and so on. And then in 17 it says, And take the helmet of salvation, helmet protects your head, salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Okay, again, I talked about how quoting the Word of God will, will defeat the enemy that's in your life. Okay, taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Then 18 says, Praying, underline praying, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Okay, this is like praying in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. All right, so you see there that praying is a prayer is a it's part of the weaponry, it's part of your your armor. All right, so so first thing to know is that of all of the things that it talks about, the breastplate, the sword, and so forth, that prayer is also your your armor. 
Okay, and it is something that will help to to protect you from the from the wiles of the enemy when he comes at you. Okay, so that's telling you telling you this part of the army. Now, also we see in Matthew seven. Go to Matthew seven. Okay, I want to build a foundation here for you. Matthew seven, talking about prayer. Matthew seven, and let's go to verse number seven. Okay, Matthew 7, Matthew 7. We see here that God encourages us to pray. Okay, first in, first in God's word in the Bible here, it tells us that prayer is part of your armor, part of your, your, your weapons of armor here. Now we're looking at where God is telling us to encourage you to pray. And if you have a red letter Bible, these letters, these words are in red, meaning that this, this, uh, this is Jesus speaking. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asks receives, and he that seeketh finds. And to him that knocks it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom, if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to them that ask of him? Please in the line, how much more shall your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to them that ask of him? Okay? So here we see Jesus encouraging us to pray. He says there in verse number, number 8, For everyone that asks receives, and he that seeks finds, uh, and to him that knocks it shall be opened. The problem that many of us have is that we don't ask. Amen? We don't knock. You know? We get that piece of mail or Aunt Tilly shows up on the doorstep or that phone call or whatever it might be. That bit of bad news comes into your life. You don't deal with the imagination thing, first of all, pulling down that stronghold. And then as far as praying, we forget to take it to God in prayer. You know? You know? God knows what's going on in our lives, being that he's all-knowing, he's omniscient. God knows, you know. But we're his children. God wants us to come to him and ask. God wants us to, to, to come to him before we start dealing with it in our own little puny way, in our minds here, trying to solve the situation. God wants us to come to him, you know. So many things that might be going on in your life, you know, stop and just ask yourself, you know, Jesus, did I bring that to God in prayer? That brings him in prayer, you know? And for God, nothing is too trivial. Nothing is too minor. You know, you hear me talk all the time about my famous hangnail, you know? I, I, I pray about hangnails, and I told you, I think it was last Sunday, I had one during the weekend before I went to clip it off with the clippers. I prayed, I said, Lord, guide my fingers, you know, because I've nipped my cubicle before, and it's pretty painful, and it can bleed like crazy. You know, so I'm serious. Yeah, I pray, Lord, guide my fingers when I, as I, you know, cut this, when you're wearing bifocals and you're trying to see a cubicle, a, a hangnail, it can be quite challenging. Amen. But I'm saying to you, though, that um, not that I don't have challenges in life, but I've learned over the many years how to deal with those challenges. And it's because of the fact that God knows for the most trivial thing, I'll come to him in prayer. Okay? Come in prayer. You know, you buy a piece of furniture that you got to put together. That's where the instructions were made in some other place. You know, and there are no directions on there. I've prayed my way through putting together those bookcases and things. I'm serious. You look at the, you look at the instructions. They're written in some language that you don't speak. You know, I'm serious. Okay? I mean, and, and if you think you don't, don't want to pray over that, you'll have a part left over and you won't be able to figure out where it belongs. And you'll really be, 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 be sorrowful, you know. But, you know, I'm, I'm taking the light side, but I'm really, really trying to get you to understand how 
important and how your life will change so much, you know, if you get into the habit of bringing the most trivial things to God, you know. And, and it's a two-way thing. You say, okay, Lord, how should I do this? What should I do? How should I, what should I do? You know, and, and, and I, I told you about losing my glasses and things. And Lord said, look under the bed. I heard it. I was looking in the closet. And I distinctly heard, look under the bed. I went and looked under the bed and there they were. Okay, and this is the story of my life. I'm serious. <laughs> okay, all right. This is the story of my life. All right, but I tell you, I'd much rather have I'd much rather having God find things for me than me going crazy. You know, you know, pulling into a parking space. Should I park here or not? Oh, I know you do that a lot also. Okay, so I'm just saying to you that, that that what the Word of God and what Jesus is saying is very, very, very real, and it happens this way because I believe what Jesus said here, and I've read these scriptures many, many, many years ago, and I continually read them because I believe that. All right, so Jesus encourages us, uh, us to pray. Okay, then he goes on in Matthew number six. Jesus gives us a model for prayer. Okay, Matthew chapter six, and. Um, Go to verse number 9. Okay. Well, matter of fact, let's go back. I wasn't going to cover. Let's go back up to verse number 5. Okay. Because what was being talked about here, you know, the Pharisees and things were coming at him. And he was talking about the Pharisees and scribes, how they pray and how they stand on the street corners making all of this big hullabaloo, da-da-da-da, look at me, I'm praying and all this sort of thing, all right? So what he's saying here uh, in verse number 5, okay, 6-5. And when thou prayest, go, um, though thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and at the corners, uh, at the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when you pray, enter into thy room, or says closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father who is in secret, and thy father who sees in secret shall reward thee openly. So first place here, you know, let's think about, consider here that you don't be praying just for the sake of showing people that you're praying and making a big deal. You know, when you can be at the prayer closet here is talking about a secluded place, any secluded place where you can be alone with God because God knows what the issue is before you do, all right? Uh, who prays in secret, and the Father who sees in secret shall reward thee openly. Verse 7. But when you pray, use not vain repetition as the pagans do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. You see? So that means now that we don't have to go through some litany of uh, repetitive things in prayer, you know, just for the sake of praying, you know. I remember we were, we were kids and stuff, and God bless our parents, you know, but, you know, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, and so on like that. We all said that, said that prayer, you know. And it wasn't until you get much older and you have some real meaning in your, in your life. I mean, I thank God for mom and dad even praying that with me because it taught me the thing of praying, you know, the habit of praying. But, but what this is saying is that don't think that in praying to God, you've got to use certain repetitive phrases and things like that to make God hear you. Verse number 8. Be not you therefore like unto them, for your Father knows what things you have need of before you ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. 
Our Father who art in heaven, now this is what's known as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, this is a model prayer. Jesus is not saying that that is the only thing that you should pray. Jesus is not saying that those are the only words in praying to him. The model there is simply saying that when you enter into this prayer, into praying to God, after this matter, our Father who art in heaven. So that means, first of all, when you go into your prayer time with God, you need to hallow him. You need to praise Him. You need to open. You need to open that way. That's how you enter the throne of God, the throne room of God, by praising Him, hallowing His name. Amen. Amen. That's what praise and worship service is all about here. You know, I dare not pull into the parking lot, walk in here, set up the pulpit, and then just start preaching to you without having a time of prayer and worshiping God. Okay, because that's the model. You you, you acknowledge who God is. You you hallow His name, meaning that you know that His name is indeed holy. All right. Then He goes on to say, you talk about give us this day. Our daily bread. You're asking God for the provisions, whatever it is that you may need. You're asking God for forgiveness, whatever things that you've done over the course of the last day that, that would have been against the word of God. You're asking God to forgive me, cleanse me by the blood of the Lamb. I repent of, of those sins. You bring that to God. This is lead me not into temptation. Lord, take me through the day. Help me to get through this day and, and, and help me to, to uh, rebuke any temptation that may uh, come my way. Deliver me, keep me safe from harm, seen and unseen, and then acknowledging the fact that for thine is the kingdom and the power forever and ever. All right. So Jesus is saying that this is simply a model that we need to follow. Whenever we're praying to God, we need to remember who we pray to whom we're praying. Amen. This is God. This is God, the Creator of the universe, the one that gave you life, the one that had a plan from you way before you were a gleam in your mom and dad's eye. You know. Way before God knew who you were. God had a plan for your life and has a plan for your life. So you need to acknowledge that this is not um, like Star Wars, may the force be with you. You know, this is not some cloud that's floating in the, in the atmosphere. This is God. God, an intelligent, feeling, loving being who loves you so much. So entering into that prayer for that thing that is going on into your life, you need to enter into his throne room with that in your heart. Okay, and that goes beyond having any script written down, anything that you just simply read from to repeat the words. Amen. It's how you, it's what your God looks at your heart. So we see here that God gives us a, a, a model for prayer. And then we see in 1 Timothy that furthermore we are commanded to pray. Let's go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, let me see where it's up. Is that one? The two. You know what? Let me hold that one. Let me hold. Let me hold. Let me hold chapter two. Go to Romans eight. Sorry. Go to Romans eight. Yes, Lord, I follow you. Lord, I follow you. Go to Romans eight. Okay. Romans 8, verse 14. Okay. We're commanded to pray, but then um, it talks about here about being, about praying in the Spirit. Okay. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. 
For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Alright, there it is again, that, that scripture on fear. As a matter of fact, where it says ye, um, draw a little line from that ye and put the word I for the next time that you're reading this. For I have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Alright? But you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. You've been adopted. You accept Jesus Christ. You've been adopted into, adopted into the family of God. And whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is an affectionate uh, word um, taken from the Greek, which is kind of similar to daddy. Alright? It's an affectionate term, kind of close meaning daddy. Whereby we cry, Abba, Abba, Father. Verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and if children then we are heirs heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ if so be that we suffer with him that we may be also glorified together you see so now you have to know it deep in your spirit in your heart that you are a child of God therefore you are an heir of God so when that thought comes into your head that is having you to, to doubt your, your abilities to doubt your finances to doubt how you're going to survive etc etc remember that you are indeed an heir you're an heir you're God's heir so therefore he's not going to let you suffer Okay, Um, verse 18, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You know, everything that happens on this earth shall indeed pass. It shall pass. And as a child of God, that means that you're going to be in heaven one day, you know. So while Jesus said that we will go through trials and tribulations in this world, I mean, what does that compare to relative to what lies before us, you know? You know, the things of this earth are so unimportant, you know. God knows that we have a need to, uh, to, you know, to get to work, to eat, and to pay our bills and so on. God knows that, you know. So the issues that we go through in this life are so trivial when you think about the long-term thing that lies before us, which is, which is the future, which goes into eternity. Amen? That's a much, much, much greater thing. All right? Uh, verse number 19. For the earnest expectations of the creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And we know that's happening there because look look how the earth is the earth is indeed travailing. Look at the, the earthquakes and the volcanic action that is going on throughout the globe. A- amen. So even the earth in, the, in, 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 in its fallen state, because earth in its original state, as God, God's divine intention, as, as are um, deemed in, um, in the Garden of Eden, the creation there, it wasn't until after the curse, after the fall, that the earth was indeed subject to the curse also. So it says you that the whole earth travails, and we see that by what's going on, the devastation that happens, in the, that happens around the globe. I mean, it's just amazing that, you know, the things that are happening with such greater frequency are in our lifetimes anyway than we've seen. Um, and, and they're happening more and more, and, and it's for reason. It's, it's for reason. Amen? Uh, for we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not, and not only they, but ourselves also who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, that is, the redemption of our body. So we're all waiting for the redemption of our body. That is, at the time that, that the, uh, the Lord raptures us away, and the words say that in the twinkling of, twinkling of an eye we shall be changed. You know, I mean, that'll be a glorious thing. You know, can't wait. 
Can't wait. But in the meantime, I got a work to do here, and so we do what we, what we have to do here until that time comes. Amen? <coughs> Amen. Um, okay. Um, but ourselves also. Verse number 24. For we are saved by hope. Now listen to this, okay? For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for? Okay? So whatever it is that's going on in your life, whatever challenges that you're having, whatever things you are praying for, okay, you continue having the hope for that, okay? For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. So if, if you're, in other words, if you're looking for some sign, immediate sign that what you're praying for and hoping for, you're looking for that sign, then that is not hope. Because if something is seen, why are you hoping for it? All right? If I owe you $5 and you say to me, and you're saying, gee whiz, I hope Pastor Cobb gives me the $5 back. And I'm standing in front of you with that $5 in front of your face and I'm handing it to you. Why are you still hoping for it? Because there's no reason for you to have hope because it's, it's there. Real hope is when I don't have that money in front of you. And you're wondering if I'm going to pay you back and you're hoping that I'm going to pay you back. You understand? So, so this is really, it's faith. In other words, if, if you have to always see evidence of what you're praying to God for, then that's not faith. That's not faith at all. All right? If you have to see evidence, if you're looking for that evidence of what you're praying for, that's not faith, that is not hope. Amen? Because if you see what it is, then what's the sense of you hoping for it? Amen? True faith in God. And that's what makes our walk in Jesus Christ and the Lord, you know, so important. And such a thing where, where non-believers, unbelievers have a hard time and they struggle with how we live our lives. Because we don't look for the physical proof. We don't look for the tangible evidence of what God is promising to us. You go by the fact that God said that I'm going to be able to pay that bill, that I'm going to be able to do this, I'm going to be able to do that, because of the fact you got faith in God's words. You, you don't need him to show up and, 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 and thunder and flashing lights and all of that to make you believe that God is God. You have that faith. Amen? So, so we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for it? But if we hope for that which we see, not, then do we with patience wait for it. Amen? And that hoping and the faith builds patience in your life. And it's one of the things, again, that we as human beings have, have a, a very little of, and that's patience. Especially in this modern day and age. You know? We've got microwave. We've got jiffy popcorn or whatever it's called. You know, everything is instantaneous. You don't have to wait for anything anymore. You know? So we've gotten to the point that even when we're praying to God, when there's something that we're praying and we're hoping for, we're hoping that it will be answered instantaneously. You see? Amen? But if you've got that faith and you know that God is working there and that hope is there, then it winds up uh, building uh, patience in you also. Verse 26 and continuing, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmity, or helps our troubles, for, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You've got an issue going on in your life, and those of you that pray in tongues and speak in tongues in the, in the Spirit, this is one time that your prayer language becomes so valuable to you. Because while when we are praying on a 
conscious level, that's not quite the right word because when you're praying in the spirit, you're not unconscious. But, but when you are trying to think about what it is that you need to pray for, you've got that whole laundry list of things that you're praying for, you know, and you get down to, 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 to number, number K on your list and by that time you've fallen asleep. Amen. But praying in the spirit is praying in the spirit, letting Holy Spirit pray for you because Holy Spirit is God. And God knows what needs to be prayed for in you. Does that make sense to you? All right, all right, okay, okay. And you don't need to go to your mind to figure out what it is that you need to be praying for. All right, the Holy Spirit in you knows what your needs are, and so therefore, Holy Spirit is communing with God. Um, on your behalf, all right? And then the other side of that, because the scripture does say that while I am praying in tongues, I also pray for understanding, amen? And so then when you're praying in tongues and you're praying in the spirit to God, then what you should do is that you should pause and then wait for a moment. And then let let the Lord reveal to you what it is that you are praying in the spirit and how God is indeed answering you, amen? So this is called, this praying in the spirit. I could give you a whole whole sermon because it's far far more involved. I could give you a whole sermon on just that alone. Amen. And so then it goes on to say, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Okay, again, casting down those imaginations that what's this thing that I'm imagining, all things work together for good for those that love God. So that means whatever the situation is that's going on in my life, it's going to work out for the good because I know that I love God. And God has promised me that things will work out. Okay? So again, that's putting those imaginations in check so that you're not dwelling on them. Verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall, what shall we then say to those things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now please underline that. If God be for us, who can be against us? With the things that's going on in your life, the things that may be troublesome, if God is for you, then who or what can stand a chance of being against you? Amen. This is the same God that created the universe, that keeps everything that's coursing and flying through the universe at outrageous speeds. Um, There's no chaos in the universe. You know, people try to say, oh, the universe is chaotic. No, it's not. No, it's not. It operates by a very, very beautiful design. A beautiful design. Amen? So if, if the same God that created all of that created you, okay, then if God is for you, then what little trivial things that are going on in this world can he not manage? You stop and think about it, okay? If God can command everything that's happening in the universe and the lives of, of some, what, six billion people on this planet and anywhere else in the universe where there might be life, amen? But if God can, can, can command all of that and keep it going, then this little thing that's troubling you is kind of inconsequential. You know, it, it looks kind of small and puny, amen? So just rest assured that, and these are not my words, if God would be for you, then who, who, can be, uh, who can be against you? These are not my words, this is the word of God. So the fact remains that the bottom line is that you believe what you're reading. You believe what God is telling you. Okay? And if you get that in your spirit, get that in your mind and in your spirit, okay, and more importantly, get it in your spirit to the point that your spirit is controlling your mind, not vice versa. Right? Because many times we get those thoughts and imaginations in our mind and winds up controlling our spirits. All right, and then that winds up driving how we really feel and how we react to things. Whereas instead, you want to get your life running just the opposite. You want to be walking and praying in the Spirit so that your Spirit is governing what is going on in your life. 
So the minute that thought comes in, you see, the, 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 the communication between us and the outside world is through the mind. Amen. But we get to the point there where this, this spirit is, is that check valve, so to speak. It checks what you're getting into your mind, and by the spirit checking it, it brings it in line with the word of God. Whereas the thoughts that we have, if we entertain them on the human level, it many, many times will not bring us in line with the Word of God. It will take us off into some other direction. So you want to get to the point that the things that come into your life wind up, your spirit takes control first, and you bring it in line with the Word of God, and that's because of Holy Spirit, you see. And when you get accustomed to that, you will find 99.9% of the things that happen in your life, you can relate to Scripture. 99.9, all right? And in order for you to recognize that, however, you've got to know the Word of God. And how do you know the Word of God? By reading it. By reading it. So your time in the Bible is critical. Your time in the Bible is critical. You know? Many of us spent time in school reading Mein Kampf and, and, uh, and uh, what's the Gone with the Wind and all the other novels and things like that. And some of us could probably quote some of those chapters. And I remember when he ran up the stairway with her and so on like that and, and start quoting the whole story to you. Okay? But can you do that with the Word of God? Okay? To the point that when something critical and important comes into your life, instead of you entertaining it in your mind, your spirit grabs it and says, oh, wait a minute now. God has not given me a spirit of fear. God is going to answer me. God is going to, to uh, all things work together for good. You see, and then it negates that. Then it negates that thought. And if God be for us, then who can be against me? Amen. Verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? You are one of God's elect. Shall God that justifies? Who is he that condemns? Shall Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession? intercession um, for us and a few of these uh, scriptures here what shall separate us then from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written for thy sake we are killed all the day long we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter nay in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us that's one that's important to remember underline verse number 37 nay in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us you know so many times we wind up becoming the, the, the tail instead of the head you know you know, you need to get to the point in your life that when things rise up, challenges rise up in your life, that you say, wait a minute here, I'm not going to be the tail in the situation, I'm going to be the head. I'm going to be the one that's driving the situation through the Lord. Amen, amen. I am be going to be, 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 be the victor. I'm not going to be the one that is vanquished. Amen, amen. And this will be done because I am a child of God, and greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. For he that is in you being the Holy Spirit. You see, these are the scriptures that you need to remember when you're pulling down these thoughts, these strongholds, getting those, those imaginations into captivity. Nay, all these things we are more than conquerors uh, through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? I mean, that says so much, you know? So if you've got all of that going on for you, right, is there anything in this world that can really overcome you? You know? Is there anything? You know? You know? You know at, at best, 
you'll get that 30 seconds of, of anxiety. We all do. When you get that first bit of, you know, bad news or news that's upsetting or whatever, that all hits you, you know. But the difference between us and the unbeliever, the non-believer, the heathen, is that we know where to go. We know how to, to regroup. Okay? We, need, we know how to, you know... The same way if you're driving, and I don't know why this comes to mind, but the same way that you're driving and out here with this black rain that we have and the ice that happens in the winter time. When you go into a skid, all of a sudden you feel the back of your car fishtailing. What do you do? You know? Do you stop, pull out the owner's manual? Do you stop and pull out some instructions on how to do to correct yourself? No. You instinctively turn the wheel in the right direction. You instinctively let up on the brakes. You instinctively do some things to recover. The very same thing needs to happen with us spiritually, okay, in this life. When a situation comes into your life, you handle it the same way, the same way. You know, instinctively, you start quoting scripture. You start getting it into control. Then after you've gotten the thing back on the street and you're going straight ahead, then you're saying, okay, Lord, I need to talk to you about this situation. This is your prayer time. This is where you then spend some time into the Lord. And this is where you get your marching orders, okay? After you got past that initial upset, you've got that under control. You're not dwelling on it. You're not going to be, oh boy, what's going to happen Monday morning? You're not dwelling on it. you got it under control. All right, now you say, Lord, let's talk. Let's talk. What should I do here? What should I do here? Okay? You know, and let him know your feelings. God knows how you feel, but the important thing that God looks at our heart, God wants to see us coming to him and saying to him, Lord, I know this is so and so, but this is what I'm feeling. I'm concerned about this. I'm concerned about that. I don't understand this. I don't understand that. Amen. All of us who have children, or if you don't have children, nieces or nephews, and you've dealt with kids that are little or whatnot, maybe they've been in your care for some period of time. Who prefers the kid that gets into trouble and runs off on his own trying to solve his problems, gets more deeply in trouble, you know, or the kid that comes to you and says, you know, auntie, uncle, mom, dad, you know, this is what's going on. Now, you knew that this was happening. And of the things that I've been involved with as a kid, my mom seemed to always know. (laughs) She always knew somehow. She always knew somehow that I had, you know, done something I shouldn't have done. Amen. Well, God the Father knows. Okay? Okay? But many times she would say, son, I love you. Bless you. I'm so glad you came to me with this. And then she would say, I recognized, I saw, or whatever. Well, God's the same way. God knows what's happening in our lives, but God wants us to bring those situations to him. Amen. God wants us to come to him with it. Amen. Amen. So it so, so says there that who shall separate us from, from the love? Then lastly here in closing... First of all, we always pray through Jesus. Um, let's go to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. Thank you, Jesus. Matthew 21. Verse number 18. Okay. And you, you all know, and I won't get into the scriptures that talks about praying in the name, in the name of Jesus. Uh, we pray through Jesus because he's the way, the truth, and the life, and so on. And Jesus said to pray in my name and so forth. We, we need to do that. And, and, and just as a side note, some of you have maybe heard me say this too. You know, I, um, I've been in places where there have been many public prayers and different meetings, breakfasts, and dinners, and things like that. And you always have someone to stand up to do, the, to do the benediction or the prayer or whatever, you know. And I always listen very, very intently, you know, because um, um, 
I will not be in a public gathering where someone is praying something off to the father of lights, you know, and the father of all creation and, and just all of those, you know, safe words so that they're not committing themselves to, to, to any one religion, more, more, more to the front, to the Christianity. And he'll put these universal terms of God out there. And then I always watch and I wait and see, let me see how they're going to close this. And very, very rarely, very rarely, I can almost, almost say with you know, some surety that they very rarely, if ever, say in the name of Jesus when they're closing. Very rarely. Very rarely. Okay? Because that'll be, be them committing themselves to Christianity, to Jesus. And publicly, many times, they don't do that. And these are men in the cloth. They'll have their collars on backwards and the whole bit. You know, but they'll be praying a safe prayer. The Word of God says to pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus is our mediator. He's sitting at the hand of the Father, right hand of the Father. Jesus said that whatever you ask in my name, in my name, all right? If it wasn't for the work of Jesus, that what he did on the cross, we would not even have access directly to God. You ever stop and think about that? Amen. The Word of God says that after crucifixion, at the appointed time, when he gave up the ghost, when he gave up his spirit, it says that the veil in the temple was torn in two. All right? In the old temple, there was a veil, a heavy veil that separated a curtain that separated um, um, the holy of holies from the the holy of holies from the the inner court. And the only one that could go into the holy and holies, the most holy of holies, was the high priest once a year. And even then, when he went in once a year, they tied a rope around his ankle. And his garment, in line with Leviticus, how it was designed, had little bells sewn around so they could hear him moving. And if they stopped hearing the bells moving, they assumed that he had died in the rope so they could drag him out. Amen. All right, no, I kid you not. I kid you not. Amen. So they could drag him out. So he was the only one that was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. But when Jesus died on the cross, and the, and the Word of God says that the, that heavy veil, that curtain that separated was torn in two, that signified now that man had direct access to God, but through Jesus Christ. But through Jesus so we have to pray in the name of Jesus, all right? But none of this works if, when I say Matthew 21, verse number 18, 21:18, in closing here. Now, in the morning, as, we, as he returned into the city, he was hungry. And when he saw a fig tree along the way, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforth for forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you. Remember when I said, and you see the word verily, that means here comes a dynamite, very profound truth. Verily I say unto you, If you have faith, underline faith, and doubt not, underline doubt not, if you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if you shall say, underline the word say, unto this mountain, underline mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, underline it shall be done. And all things, whatever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Underline believing you shall receive. So we see a few things um, happening here because it said that it says that uh, um, that he, he in verse number nineteen. But the leaves only and said unto it, Jesus spoke to the tree, and then he goes on to say there in verse number 21, but also if you shall say unto this mountain. So there's a lot here to be said, and I can show you dozens of other scriptures that talks about the power of the spoken word, the power of the tongue. 
which is a whole separate sermon, which we certainly don't have time to, but you've got to be so careful about what you're confessing into your life. You've got to be so careful about how you're saying, um, this is not going to happen, or I'm going to fail, you know, oh gee whiz, I knew I wasn't going to get this, or I knew that wasn't happening, I knew I wasn't going to be able to pay that. You've got to be so careful what you say with your mouth, because the spoken word is indeed very, very powerful. You, you know, this is why, you know, I, 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 I do not make negative confessions. You know, if there is a negative situation going on, I will make a positive situ- uh, confession, saying that I believe, I believe, I believe that. So what Jesus is saying is that if you shall say into this mountain, or speak into this mountain, be thou removed, it shall be done. You've got a situation in your life, you speak to it. Speak to it. Okay? In the name of Jesus Christ, I rebuke this situation. In the name of Jesus Christ, I believe I'll be able to pay that bill. In the name of Jesus Christ, with Jesus stripes, I am healed. You know, I, will, I was healed 2,000 years ago by the actions of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I believe that I am healed. You speak it forth. You speak it forth. But then the bottom line is that 22, and all things, whatever you shall ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Everything that I've been talking about up here for the last half hour or so, is all pointless. It's all pointless. It's without merit. If you don't believe. If you don't believe. You can believe that we just sat up here listening to words for the last half hour or better. And it all sounded nice. He read from a book. Read from a book called the Bible and so forth. It all sounds good. You know, but the bottom line is, do I really believe it? Do I really believe it? You know? He talked about praying because he had a hangnail. Prayed about cutting his hangnail. Do I really believe that? Well, believe it. Or it's up to you. Amen. Amen. You know, God showed him where his glasses were. Well, believe it. Or it's up to you. You know? But the bottom line is everything that we've talked about here is based on Scripture. Not my words, but the Word of God. So if you want it to happen, amen? If you want it to happen, thank you, sister. If you want it to happen, you've got to believe it. And that's something that I can't do. Even God can't do that. Believe it or not. You know, and you can tie God's hands as all powerful as God is. God is omnipotent. But the one thing God cannot go against is his own word. And he's given you free will. Will. He's given you the free will to choose and to believe what you want to believe. God can very easily just zap us all and make us robots walking around saying, God, we love you. God, we love you. We believe you and so on. Amen. But God wants you to believe him because you believe him. Amen. So if you want to see your life changing, you want to see those, those imaginations, those thoughts being pulled down, then you have to believe what you heard today. And if anything that you heard today is not clear to you, then I suggest to you to go home and pray about it. You know? But he said so and so and so, Lord, what, what, what was really meant? You know? Or your scripture says so and so and so, Lord, what, what was that really about? Amen. Amen. And get in the habit of talking to God. God loves it when you talk to him like he's right there because guess what? He is there. You know? But so many times we think that because we can't see him that he is not aware of what's happening in our lives. He knows. He knows. And he loves for you to come to him and to ask him and to seek his help. Amen. Because I'm, and I say here, boy, you know, you get to that point where you're just talking so much with God and spending time with him. You will get to a level that will just really just truly amaze yourself. You'll have insights and knowledge of things that you'll, you'll wind up shaking your head and say, gee whiz, how did I know that? Or how did this happen? You know, you know or, or feeling something and being told, don't go there, don't act and don't do this and don't do that. And you don't do it. And surely enough, you say, wow, 
You know, how did I know that? Amen? Amen? God wishes to take you to a place, to a whole new place. You know, Christianity is not simply about going to church. This is only one point in time that we gather together to worship Him. The Word of God says, forsake not the gathering together of, your, of the brethren. It means that we should gather together. But God wants to spend time with you and for, you, for Him to be in your thoughts 24-7. Amen? Amen? Praise God. I hope this message was a blessing to you. And now, before we close, let's prepare to honor God without time. Tides and offerings.